Emerging markets never do. January the 14th, 2024. Allocating to emerging markets is a Wall Street construct designed to confuse investors and justify periodic reallocations to higher fee products that obscure measures of relative performance. Some financial advisors will be outraged at this statement, so let me quickly move to the evidence. Start with the Vanguard Emerging Markets Stock Index Fund, the biggest ETF in the sector. Over the past decade, it has returned 3% per annum versus the S&P 500's 12%. Emerging markets hasn't just had a poor couple of years. It's had a lousy decade. This shouldn't be surprising. Nobody ever emerges from an emerging markets index. For my entire 44-year career in finance, the emerging markets composition has barely changed. Emerging is a marketing gimmick that suggests upward progress. But in reality, these countries are all destined to have living standards below the OECD, i.e. developed countries, indefinitely. Nobody ever emerges. Emerging markets proponents will argue that their higher GDP growth means better equity returns. But GDP and corporate profits are different. An uncompleted apartment building generates GDP, but is clearly not generating any profits to equity owners if its units can't be rented. China's many zombie cities are an example. Building out infrastructure creates immediate GDP, but only helps equity investors if it improves an economy's productivity. Many countries exhibit a poor transmission mechanism from GDP growth to equity returns. Then there's disclosure standards and property rights. Emerging markets countries typically don't meet Western standards on these two issues. The emerging markets investor adopting the tenuous argument that GDP growth equals corporate profits Next has to consider that the companies she's invested in are less than transparent in their accounting, or that local government officials may misappropriate parts of the businesses she owns through dubious legal maneuvers. Outside of Western liberal democracies, it's rare to find countries with a history of respect for individual rights, for the impartial application of contract law, and with strong investor protections in place. Returning to China, can you really trust the government to protect the interests of foreign investors? The case for an emerging markets allocation isn't supported by historic returns, but the financial advisor who recommends emerging markets exposure for a client benefits from the complexity this introduces into performance evaluation. Only the most financially sophisticated will have the tools to establish whether emerging markets added any value. And because emerging markets is rarely a buy-and-hold strategy, a second time in decision on when to exit also looms. Emerging markets is the refuge of the financial advisor obfuscating results with complexity. All but a handful of the S&P 500 does business in emerging markets. Their presence can be used to justify an investment. If Coke is making money in Brazil, why aren't you? But Coke is so much better equipped to navigate local laws, ownership rights and taxes while still complying with U.S. GAAP standards and Coke is better situated to calibrate their emerging markets exposure among the countries where they perceive the best opportunities. If you apply the same logic to another 475 or so members of the S&P 500, an investment in the biggest U.S. companies comes with an emerging markets exposure through the filter of U.S. standards and sized according to the collective capital allocation wisdom of hundreds of executive teams and boards of directors. There's no reason for the retail investor to make an emerging markets allocation. If your financial advisor recommends it, share the dismal decade displayed above. Reject the complexity that benefits him, not you, 
and tell him you're happy with the emerging markets exposure your S&P 500 investment provides. On a different topic, China's National Energy Administration recently reported, in quotes, based on the overall promotion of oil and gas supply, security, and green development, oil and gas development enterprises have accelerated the pace of integration and development with new energy on the basis of effectively stabilizing oil and gas and improving the ability to independently guarantee oil and gas resources, close quotes. That's translated from Chinese by Google. Don't be confused by China and renewables. Energy security explains the dual focus on clean energy and coal because they help reduce China's reliance on imported oil and gas. Coal provides over 60% of China's power and is 70% of its emissions. They're adding new coal plants at more than one a month. Security, not climate change, drives their policies. Why else would a country boost electric vehicle sales powered with the worst of fossil fuels, if not for energy security? Chinese consumers are being connected to natural gas supply across the country. Many provinces have tripled or more the local population able to use natural gas. In 2022, 15 million new customers were added. This contrasts with New York State, which is impeding the ability of new customers to access natural gas. Do New Yorkers know that China is extending natural gas access while their government does the opposite? Have they bought in to the liberal proposition that we'll reduce emissions while others grow them? Or are they simply unaware, accepting constrained access to reliable energy in the naive belief that all the world's emitters are aligned in their efforts to achieve a common goal? Next time you encounter a New York Democrat voter, and there are many, ask them.